Um, last week we started into the book of Esther and we're kind of exploring the idea of God's sovereignty within Esther's story. And we left off and Haman, who was like the king's right-hand man, um, has a plan to annihilate all of the Jewish people. And Mordecai, who was Esther's um, cousin but had adopted her as his own daughter and raised her, is pleading with Esther through the gates to do something to intervene. And there was that key verse in Esther 4:14, where he says, And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And Esther asks Mordecai and her people to fast for three days, and she'll do the same. And then in 4:16, she says, When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And today we're going to continue to look at God's involvement in Esther's story in the details um, and remember that God is never mentioned throughout this whole book, not one time. So that I just want you, as we're reading and talking about it, is just to try to see if you can still find him in the story. So we're going to start by reading Esther 5, verses 1 through 8. If somebody would like to read that section for me, I would be very appreciative. Thank you. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, in front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room, opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter, and the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you, even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Thank you. So what what did Esther ask of the king? Louder. To come to a banquet. And how did the king respond? Yes. He will go. Um, is there any mention of God in this section? Is he working? How do we know he's working? He agreed to go. Even before that, though, when what what happened when Esther first approached the king? Yeah, he didn't kill her. He was happy to see her and welcomed him right in. Where, remember, the law was that nobody could come into his presence without an invitation first. So right there and then, that to me is God's, God's there working. Um, again, I'm going to kind of summarize the next little section. So... They go to the first banquet, Haman and the king, and Haman leaves and he's all puffed up because he he was alone invited to come to this queen's banquet with queen's banquet with the king. 
he leaves and he's all happy and he's boasting and he's probably a little drunk. Um, and then he sees Mordecai at the gates again and immediately he's just livid, mad, because Mordecai is refusing to give him the honor that the king had bestowed upon him by kneeling um, in his presence. And so he goes home and, and he's surrounded by his wife and his friends and his people and he's just going on and on and, and angry that Mordecai is um, not... Um, showing him what he feels is his due. And they encourage him to build a a large stake at 75 feet tall. Um, And he builds it right in his front yard. And the idea is he's going to have Mordecai impaled on this stake right in his front lawn. And the next day he's going to go to the king and ask for permission. Um, So now we're going to pick up in Esther 6. And we're going to read verses 1 through 10. Thank you. The night the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book, the chronicles, the, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Malachi had exposed Bigfin, mm-hmm. two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendant said. He answered. The king said, Who is the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king and hanging Mordecai on the gallows he had erected for himself. His attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court, bringing in the king order. Uh, through 10. When Haman entered the king, asked him, what should I be, what should be done for the the man the king delights in honor? Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honor, have have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden one with the royal crestplate on his head. Then let the robe and horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble delights of honor and lead them on the horse to the city streets, proclaiming before the king, this is what is done for the man of the king who delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded him. Get the robe and the horse, and just as you have suggested for Mordecai, the Jew who sits at the king's gate, do not neglect anything you have recommended. Okay, so what just happened? Who can summarize that? Total turn of events. Yeah, total turn of events. King is looking through, I mean, the king is can't sleep, which, you know, and then he's looking through his books and reads about how Mordecai saved his life and realizes he never got rewarded. Right, so that's the first coincidence there because I'm, not that he can't sleep. I have lots of problems sleeping, but the chances are the chances that he pulls that one volume of probably hundreds of books because they're documenting his whole life, <coughs> and he finds that one section that they had spoke to they had spoke about previously. I think in chapter at the end of chapter one maybe. Um, 
where Mordecai had overheard a couple of guards with a plan to attack and kill the king, and he had gone to the king and and saved his life. But they never really talked about it after that. It was just kind of like, why is that even in there? Well, this is why. And so it's kind of a coincidence, number one, that he finds that part of the book and he's reading that story and all of a sudden he's like, oh, I need to reward this man. What, what, what then happens? Who does he call to help? Or who shows up to help, not really knowing he's going to? Amen. Amen. And he thinks, because he's so proud, that it's him that they can't, like, who else is he going to reward besides me? Because I'm his right-hand man, right? So he starts thinking up all these lavish things that he would want done for himself. And then at the at the end, the king says, yes, do it, but for Mordecai. <laughs> so how do you think that's going to make Hammond feel? A little mad. Jealous. Anything else? Embarrassed. Yeah, and, th- and those feelings. So the next section that I'll summarize, he ends up running out of the king's palace, and he does all that the king asks to do, but then he runs away to hide at home. Remember, he was coming to the king to ask the king to give him permission to have Mordecai impaled on this 75-foot pole in front of his house. I think your version said gallows, but anyway, he's going to kill. He's asking permission to have Mordecai killed, and all of a sudden the king's like, no, we want to give him the highest praise and honor that we can. So he's now fearful because he, he wasn't alone in thinking that he was going to kill, have Mordecai killed. He had a whole bunch of people that were around him when he made that plan, so how long is it going to take for that to get back to the king? So he's hiding at home. Um, and eventually the king's um, guards, eunuchs, come and they retrieve him to attend uh, Esther's second banquet because at the end of the first banquet, remember, her next um, request of the king was to attend a second banquet with uh, Haman again. So now we're going to read this last little section, Esther 7, verses 1 through 7. If somebody would volunteer to read that. So the king and Haman went to see Esther's banquet on the the second occasion while they were drinking wine. The king again said to Esther, Tell me me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. Queen Esther replied, If I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. We have merely been sold as slaves. I would remain quiet, but that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. Who would do such a thing? King said, "Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you?" Esther replied, "This wicked king is our adversary and our enemy." Haman grew pale with a fright before the king and queen. Then the king jumped to his feet in a rage and went out into the palace garden. Haman, however, stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther, for he knew that the king intended to kill him. Um, Okay, so my question here is, how does, if you look at Esther's approach to the king versus Haman's approach to the king, how is Esther's different? How does Esther approach the king? Very humble. Very humble. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And I love even the even when she says. Um, like, I can't even imagine being more humble than this when she says, if, if we were just going to be gathered up and turned into slaves, I wouldn't even bother you with this. But he's trying to kill us. So, yeah, she's very humble, whereas Haman is completely opposite of that. Um, 
I was going to summarize the rest, but let's just go ahead and read the end of this because I think it's, um, it, it just wraps up the story very nicely, obviously, because it's the word of God. So 8 through the end of uh, chapter 7, 10, 8 through 10. If somebody wants to read just those little part. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, will he even molest, molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbana, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, a pole reaching to the height of 50 cubits stands by Haman's house. He had it set up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. Thank you. Yeah, so complete turn of events, as you said earlier. (coughs) The the story goes on then and just kind of explains how um, Mordecai then becomes basically takes Haman's place. He becomes the king's second in command and he's held in that high honor. Um, together with the king and Esther, they work to save all the Jews by sending out um, new edicts that have the king's seal of approval with the ring that now Mordecai possesses from the king. Um, there's lots of banquets and celebrations at the time, um, and that's a tradition that's carried on even to today. Uh, Modern-day Jews celebrate a holiday called Purim. Purim? Purim? Purim. Purim. That's yeah, Purim, um, which starts with the day of fasting, and then the second day is a day of feasting and, and celebration, which is kind of, and it's all in honor of Esther. So, um, one thing that was in the book that I'm just going to read this quote because I love how it kind of summarizes everything. God is in the details, the little ones and the big ones. Recognizing his presence and that he's active in every circumstance is an excellent way to quiet any anxiety that attacks you via Satan. So some of you that might have came in late might not have a minute yet, but we're going to do this little activity. So there's four verses or sections. I want you just, and I'll give you a couple minutes too in case you haven't had a chance, but I want you to take a minute to look those up just as an individual and then choose one that is speaking to you on a personal level. And then what I'm going to do is you don't have to bring anything with you. We're going to split up into some small groups, but you don't have to write anything. It's just going to be for discussion. So you can leave everything where you're at and we'll just go like to the four corners of the table and we'll do Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, and 1 Timothy up here. So when you have, what? I just went in order. Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, and 1 Timothy. And if you can move to that section of our little horseshoe so that you'll end up being in a small group, hopefully. My thought process or my goal for that little activity is you're going to get out of that with your small group, what you need to, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time going over it. I just wanted a chance to kind of connect on a 
like more intimate level with each other because we're all suffering from anxiety. However, I do want to take <laughs> enough time to have just each group briefly read aloud your one verse or two verses and then just give like a quick summary of um, what you came up with as a group or if one person can just um, volunteer to share um, how this verse could help you this week specifically. Um, and we'll just go in order. So Romans, was that you guys? Yeah. You want to start one of you just by reading the scripture? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Patty, do you want to fill in? Um, basically, we, we talked about that, saying that um, he does work together for our good. And a lot of times we try to control because it's scary not to have control. And um, we, we're not placing our trust in God because we talked about how his path is really bumpy and sometimes a lot of struggles and not linear, but then he, it's perfect and he's getting us and building our character to where we need to be. Yeah, we don't necessarily see the good in right. the moment. Right. right. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verse 11. Is that you guys? Okay. Um, also, we have obtained an inheritance having predest- been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. Anything you want to share? We can't hear you, honey. Yep, really loud. Sorry. <laughs> we can use this verse as like a... That, that God has a plan for us that uh, whatever happens, there's there's something good is going to come out of it, whether for us or for him, that uh, even if we think we don't have anybody with us, we do. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Is that you guys? Okay. Yes, please. 1670. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So I underlined, um, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That just struck me, and I think all of us, that... You know, and the anxiety of everything that's going on in this world today. He created every single thing. Mm-hmm. And he's holding it all together. There's no mm-hmm. surprises for him. And, you know, it's just like, my goodness, we need to come before him humbly, like Esther did, mm-hmm. and just say, Lord, if it's your will, you know, let this work out. But, you know, I am steadfast in you, knowing that you are behind it. And, you know, yeah. it's all going to work out. Yeah. Your plan. Yep. So. Thank you. Lise, you want to read ours? First Timothy 6. God will bring about in his own time God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one can or whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Amen. 
First of all, somebody help us because we knew there was a story in the Old Testament where somebody gets tucked away into a crevice because he's going to pass by God. Moses. Moses, thank you. We, I didn't know, but I knew because we were talking about why can't we approach him? And I was like, well, I think it, we can now because we're redeemed through Christ and we've been brought into his righteousness. But we kind of got stuck on that. But um, for me, it was just the, the his time. Everything's going to happen in his time. And... Um, that's a hard one to swallow, especially in my younger years. My, I, I told Lisa my journey to motherhood is a perfect example of me trying to take control of that situation and not letting things just happen in his time. But thank you all for sharing. Um, I'm going to read Psalm 103, verse 19. It says, give you just a second, 103, Psalm 103. Verse 19. It says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. And they use that as a just a one-line summary of the entire book of Esther. The Lord rules over all. Paul Tripp quote in this book that I loved, I'm going to share it. It says, In regards to the book of Esther, Paul Tripp writes, This God who seems absent is actually working to protect and preserve his story. His story. You shouldn't conclude because you can't see the hand of God that God isn't at work any more than you should conclude that the sun isn't shining because you're in your basement and you can't see it. These are these are these moments where you have to do what Hebrews 11 says. You must believe that God exists and he rewards those who seek him. I'm not going to give way to belief in the functional death of my Redeemer, even in moments where I do not see his hand. So I'm going to read um, what he's referring to, Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 6. It says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So the question is, is what is faith? What is belief? And God being God defines it for us just five verses before in uh, chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I love that. Can we... Can faith and trust be used? Synonyms? Yes, I would think so. Yep. What are some ways that we can pursue communication with God? Because it is a relationship. He wants to be in relationship with us. So just in terms of our friendships or our um, spouses, our children, like we can't have a relationship with another human being without communication. God expects that from us as well. So what are... um, some ways that we can pursue that communication when he feels, when it feels like to us that he's far away. Prayer. Hey, that's what the next two lessons are about. Prayer. Good. How else? I always just think back to, you know, David's song about magnify the Lord with me. And I think um, just acknowledging to God, not because he needs to hear it, but 
like that self-talk reminding. Yeah. <laughs> I think part of it is is reading the word because this is how God talks to us. Yeah. And even like allowing some time of silence. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. Just sitting and soaking this up. Mm-hmm. And listening to what he has to say. That's one of the biggest things in my own spiritual journey that I think I've grown in is when I open the word to hear his communication to me as I start by praying for discernment and I literally pray to God what do you want me to see today or what do you want me to learn today before I open up anything I have to laugh because when my car ran over me on the ground I came to (laughs) what am I supposed to learn from this No, but listen, it, I'm going to share this. This happened this week. Jason, um, so he has his routine where he sets his alarm at 6 a.m., but he hits snooze until 6.30. And I, have, and, I, and I, up until recently, just slept through all that or dealt with it because I usually didn't get up till 7. But I, have, in the last few weeks, started this new routine where I'm getting up at, like, 5, 5.30 and doing some other things. But this one morning, I had my alarm set for 5.00. And I was hitting snooze because I was just exhausted and I couldn't find my way out of bed. And he got snippy at 5.30. Like, he he just, like, snapped at me. And I got up and I took my drink of water and I literally sat down to do my Bible study. And I said, okay, Lord, what do I need to learn? I was mad. I was, not, I was hurt. I was mad. I, I didn't respond to him at all. I just got out of bed and walked away. And I literally opened up the Bible. Like, I usually I have, like, a set study that I'm working on, but I literally just flipped open the Bible to the first lesson. Granted, it was a marriage Bible. That's the five love languages. So each, each lesson is going to specifically talk about something within a marriage. But this specific lesson that I flipped to was all about how to forgive. <laughs> so, like, it does work. Like, if you pray, like, show me what I... And it worked that day. Like, I... By the time Jason and I got to be in the same room together that morning, I had let go of my anger and realized that he was just him. And he, who never apologizes for anything, came to me and said, I'm sorry. So, yeah, Um, he knew that he had gone over the line, but whatever. Neither here nor there. That's an important part for me in the communication with the Lord is just opening myself up to what he wants to communicate to me through his word, because there's a lot in there. Um, so even, where are we at? Even, I mean, we all in this room can identify times in our lives where we've had hard seasons or difficult seasons or suffering, pain. Um, as you think on those times in your life, whether you're currently in one or You've, you've been in one in the past. Chances are we're going to have more. Um, is it difficult for you, um, maybe not in the moment, because I think it's difficult for all of us in the moment, but in hindsight, can you identify how God was working um, through you in those moments? Um, did he meet your needs? 
was he there even though you might not have been able to see him or feel him yes okay so if we're if we're taking a moment just to think about seasons in our life that were difficult seasons can we in hindsight identify that God was still there and working when I lost my I can see where God placed um, faithful women in my life through several seasons, and it wasn't always the same one. And that's what's interesting. This new Bible that I have, um, I really like it, except for the tabs. (laughs) Um, But it has a section where you can list your spiritual mothers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some I still talk to, some I'm very close with, and some I don't talk to anymore, but I, I just remember, I mean, they were never able, like, you could never replace your own mind, mm-hmm. but I looked at them like a, a mother, and I know they looked at me like a daughter. Yeah, I think, I, I didn't, I haven't lost a mom, so I didn't have that same experience, so, and I have the same exact Bible as Lisa, so... On that page, I crossed off mother, and I just wrote sister, and I have people listed in this room on my page. So I loved that. Am I yep. there? <laughs> yes. Yes. Our family yeah. has been through some really trying years in the last few years, and um, we often talk about it with our kids because it's not something that we can just ignore and mm-hmm. need to discuss with why has God done these things to us? Um, why has he allowed these things in our life? And the other day we were talking about the verse in Romans chapter 5. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with, our, with his love. So we were talking to the kids about how, you know, God has given us these problems and trials to, to deepen our faith. Mm-hmm. Um, he's allowed them in our lives to strengthen our character, mm-hmm. to be more like him. Um, and, it's, and in my 16-year-old's infinite wisdom, which I say come in cheek, mm-hmm. uh, he says actually very wisely to me, Mom, you know, God doesn't promise um, good things to us. He doesn't promise that we're going to get blessings and that life's going to be easy. What if God's preparing us for something harder? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, God. I know. You know, like in our Christian mind, we just think that we deserve ease. Mm-hmm. I don't say our Christian mind. In our fleshly mind, we think we deserve ease. And it's not what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. The Bible says we're going to experience hardship. And mm-hmm. we've been through hardship the last three years. And my 16-year-old basically put it in front of me like, Mom, this isn't as hard as it's going to get. God's strengthening our character for mm-hmm. worse things. So wise. Okay. He's right. Yeah. You know? I love that. You, and you said um, he's strengthening our character to deepen our faith um, because he wants us to grow in our faith. And I think for me, part of that in the last five years as he's done that work in me is that he's also through 
um, a lot of people in this room and in this church placed it on my heart that part of that deepening of your faith and strengthening of your faith then is to then be available to help somebody else come along somebody else to do the same. Um, and so that's the note I want to close on because I think part of this, the point for me of this class and why I agreed to do it, and I think that the co-teachers, Julia and Sherilyn, would agree that if any of you need somebody to come alongside you, like please don't hesitate to reach out. We're all on the Breeze app. Um, as you're going through just day-to-day -day life or if you're finding yourself in a hard time, like any of us would be there for you to help you so that your struggle with anxiety is not something that you have to walk alone. And then um, just know that I think the whole point of all this is to trust that even though God isn't necessarily visible, he is there working for all of us all the time for good. Okay, Sherilyn's Sherilyn, going to close us in prayer. Thank you. Thank you all for coming.